Now, before my initiation to uh, the Bible's book of Proverbs, the few Proverbs I learned, I learned from my mother. So mom taught me some Chinese and English Proverbs at different teaching moments of my growing up years. So when mom was showing me how to cook instant noodles, for example, it came with a proverb. That is, a watched pot never boils. Mom was teaching me patience because I kept lifting up the lid uh, to see if water has boiled. Then when my itchy hands led me to uh, tinker some household items, mom would tell me, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. And when I offered to help in the kitchen, mom would tell me to stay away from the kitchen, telling me that too many cooks spoil the broth. And she also told me because, first slide, ye pang ye mang, she says. It's a Chinese proverb which literally means more help, more busy. That the more one meddles, the worse things will turn out and more work is needed in the end. More help, more busy. Do you find that proverb to be true a lot of times, especially when help is not needed at all, especially when the one who helps bungles up, and the end result is a mess that needs cleaning up? Ye pang, ye mang. More help, more busy. Now today's sermon, today's sermon's passage, which covers about three chapters, can be summarized with this proverb, more help, more busy. We've actually seen that in previous accounts, how Abraham helped God keep him alive by lying to Pharaoh, and then also to Abimelech. We have seen how Sarah helped God give them a child through surrogacy. And their help, their meddling, just created mess that the Lord had to clean up. So the accounts tell us, do not help God help you, because he does not need your help. What he says, what he purposes, he will deliver, he will fulfill. But God's people can be hard of hearing, and so we need to hear it again. Don't help God help you. His purposes shall come to pass, and human efforts cannot hinder God's will, and human exploits do not ensure their fulfillment. So in chapter 25, verse 19, the spotlight now zeroes in on the next generation. Abraham's son Isaac and his wife Rebekah. Now we know that the Lord's promised blessing to uh, Abraham was handed down to Isaac in accordance with God's will. Now this story is about how this promised blessing will be further handed down to God's chosen according to his will. So we heard of the love story between Isaac and Rebekah a week ago. Today's account is fast forward approximately 20 years. Rebecca was heavily pregnant because the children struggled inside, together inside her womb. So it prompted her to inquire of the Lord. Now, had there been 
gynecologists in those days, they would have said, congratulations, it's called fetal movement, mommy. Were there ultrasound equipment in those days, the radiologists would have announced, congratulations, you're having twins. But they didn't have gynecologists and radiologists as we know them today. And so the best person to ask was, was the Lord. After all, wasn't the Lord the one who opened Rebecca's womb? Wasn't the Lord the one who also opened Sarah's womb? The Lord is the one who reverses barrenness in accordance to his gracious purposes for his people. So Rebecca inquired of the Lord and she received an answer. And it's not just a medical report. It's a prophetical report. The revelation. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older one shall serve the younger. Now what can a mother do with a pregnancy report? Well, not much, but to accept it. So if the report says, it's going to be a boy, accept it. It's going to be a girl, accept it. It's not looking good, accept it. So I remember when Anna had our first child in her womb, the report we got was that Dan, our firstborn, had a birth defect. His intestines and his liver were sticking outside his belly. What can we do with such a report? Nothing much, but to accept it. We couldn't say, okay, can we take him out, fix his belly, and put him back in? Nothing much, but to accept it. And better not, because firstly, that has never been done before. And secondly, remember the proverb, more help, more busy more mess. So what could we do with such a report? Nothing much but to accept it and embrace it. Because that is what God's people do with God's will. God's people accept the Lord's gracious purposes for His children. So the Lord has determined the future of the twins while they were still in Rebekah's womb. And the Lord's will was to Accomplish his gracious purposes for his people. The rest of the story in chapter 25 serves to confirm the Lord's will through the actions of people. How they acted, what they did, and their deeds serve to confirm the Lord's will and plans. Well, it all began with Isaac's prayer to the Lord concerning Rebekah's barrenness. His plea to God and God's answer confirms God's purposes for his people. Then when the twins, before they were born, we are told that there was a struggle in the womb. Now we have heard of a sibling rivalry, haven't we? But this was fetal rivalry. These guys, they started very young. And it confirms God's will that two nations are indeed in Rebekah's womb, two peoples in her womb, two peoples who shall be divided. And so it tells us that 
human deeds do confirm God's gracious purposes for his people. Several months later, on the day of their birth, Red and Harry Esau came out first, followed by the younger twin, Jacob. Jacob, he was called because he was grabbing the heel of his older brothers. Now, you know when a baby holds your finger and wouldn't let it go? And the feeling is that you are being loved? Well, pediatricians call that a palmar grasp or a palmar reflex. And when a baby does that to you, you feel love, you tell everybody that you are the sweetie's favorite. I don't think Esau would agree to that with Jacob's grabbing of his heel. This was the palmar grass that holds not the finger, but the heel, the bigger heel. This was the palmar grass that confirms God's will. The one shall be stronger than the other. So human deeds confirm God's gracious purposes for his people. Now, when the boys grew up, they were very, very different from each other. After all, no two nations are alike. We were told that these boys, they received different treatments from their parents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of the skillful hunter's game. Rebecca loved Jacob because, because she just loved him. No reasons were given to us. And both parents' actions, their treatments of their boys serve to confirm God's will. That the two peoples shall be divided. And what about God's will that the older shall serve the younger? What actions on their part confirm that? It's verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Because Edom sounds like the word red in Hebrew. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. What action confirmed that the older shall serve the younger? It's the, it's the craftiness of the younger brother. He knows how to sell his product at the right time at an exorbitant price. A bowl of stew for a birthright? He shall indeed rule over his foolish brother. Now, I know of a girl who, when she was in school, she eyed her uh, seatmate's uh, new pencil. And so she offered her, my two shortened pencils in exchange for that long pencil. Two for one. And she got the long pencil. And she grew up 
to become a businesswoman. Jacob would rule over his younger brother. Proof? He purchased the older brother's birthright with a bowl of stew. He is going to be ruler over his brother for sure. And so the story ends with an important comment from the narrator. Thus, Esau despised his birthright because he deemed it useless. He sold it for a one-time meal. If only after he had eaten, after he had drank and risen and told Jacob, JK, but that is not what happened. Esau didn't do that. Esau, he just went his way. He despised his birthright. So the two brothers' actions here confirmed the Lord's will. That the older shall serve the younger. And here is where we see God's predestination. Here is where we see men's human actions. They both work side by side. God calls because of his gracious purpose, and humans respond according to their nature or according to the grace God gives them. God's election, the Apostle Paul tells us, does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who chooses to show mercy and compassion. So human deeds and actions here in this story only confirm God's calling. They only confirm God's gracious purposes for his people. Now there's a lesson here for all of us. See, when Genesis was primarily written to the Israelites who'd been rescued from Egypt to become God's holy people, this account exhorts them not to sacrifice their spiritual blessing for temporal needs. How many times did the Israelites grumble about food? How many times did they talk about abandoning the so-called grand plan of going to the promised land? They missed the meat they ate in Egypt. The book of Numbers tells us. They missed the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the garlic, the onions. By the way, sounds like stew ingredients, don't they? For a bowl of stew, they were willing to give up the birthright of the promised land. And so this account warns them not to despise the promise of the land in exchange for the fleeting pleasures of food. We very well remember Jesus who, though he was tempted in the wilderness to turn stone into bread and give in to his bodily pleasures, Jesus responded to the tempter and said, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And Jesus' words were a quote from Deuteronomy, the very words, the very same words that were told to the Israelites. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 tells us, 
See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Esau, my friends, is the tamtia warning for all of us, warning us against despising God's gracious call to salvation, despising God in exchange for the sinful and fleeting pleasures of the world. So will you throw away God's gracious call to holiness in exchange, for example, of a sinful relationship? Will you abandon the beauty of obeying God in exchange of obeying your fleshly desires? Those are cheap bowls of stew, my friends. And you wouldn't want to be a fool to value them over your God-given birthright. Esau despised his birthright. The story ends showing us that the brothers' actions can only confirm God's calling and purpose for his people. The one God has chosen to be stronger, to be ruler, is the younger brother. His grabbing and the value he places on birthright confirms God's will. Now, in the next account in chapter 26, we shall see that human efforts cannot hinder God's gracious purposes for his people. So chapter 26 is an account that sounded familiar. You have famine, you have sojourn, you have Egypt, you have wife disguised as a sister. This is, this is deja vu. I mean, we've heard this before, haven't we? Why are we hearing this again? Well, perhaps because the problems and challenges that God's people face are common. They're very common. They're not new. They're repetitive. Yet, the common repetitive human response is not that of faith, but of fear. And so the aim of this account is to tell God's people not to give in to fear, but exhibit faith. Because no human force can hinder God's promise to bless his people, and in this case, to bless Isaac. So we see the common problem of famine leads Isaac to go down to Gerar, or Gerar. And the Lord commands him to stay in Gerar and promises to be with him and bless him. The Lord reiterated the blessings he's promised to Isaac's father, Abraham. The promise is now handed over to Isaac because, verse 5 we were told, because Abraham obeyed the voice, obeyed my voice, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. To the Israelites who heard this story firsthand, the words, obey my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws, they are, they are faith and obedience language. Faith and obedience language they understood because God would give them his laws. So as descendants of Abraham, when they obey God's laws, they follow the faith of Abraham, of Abraham's faith in the God who called him. 
So God's message to Isaac was this. Have faith in me just as your father Abraham had faith in me and obeyed me. Because whatever God promises, he will deliver. He will fulfill. And no human force, no human effort is going to hinder God's plans. Proof number one. Isaac was fearful that the Philistines might find Rebekah attractive and kill him to have her. But we read that the Lord showed Isaac that the king actually feared God. The king issued an edict to leave Isaac and Rebekah alone. Now friends, this is better than diplomatic immunity. No human force is going to hinder God's plan to bless. Proof number two. The Lord blessed the work of Isaac's hands. He planted and reaped the same year. And the harvest was a hundredfold. He became so very wealthy that the locals became envious of him. But they couldn't touch him. Why? Because there was an edict, remember? They can only send him away. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, said to him in verse 16, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Now, the narrator tells us of a water problem. You see, after Abraham died, the wells that he had dug when he was in Gerar, they were all covered up. They were all filled up by the Philistines, meaning they revoked the water agreement that they had made with Abraham. You see, my fellow Singaporeans, water has always been a very sensitive issue. But the Lord proved faithful to Isaac. The Lord blessed him with a, with a hydro touch. Hydro touch. Each time he and his men dug wells, they got water. Each time the locals quarreled and claimed water, Isaac just moved on and dug again until they gave up quarreling over water with him. Why? Because wherever he goes, he digs and finds water anyway. So I remember when I was a kid, summertime was kite flying time. And we flew kites anywhere there's wind blowing. But sometimes you may get a dead spot, which is no wind. And uh, when you move about, the bigger boys who reserved windy spots would say, would say to me, don't fly your kite here, go away, go someplace, because I reserved this spot. Go away. But then during times when there's wind everywhere, no one would care to occupy or reserve spots. Anywhere Isaac settles, he finds water. And in the end, Abimelech had to concede that the Lord's hand was on Isaac, that the Lord blessed him tremendously. And the king was left no choice. So along with his commander and with his advisor, the king made a pact of peace with Isaac and his descendants. Friends, no human force can hinder God's promise to bless his people. 
So what seems to be opposition against God's people, the Lord tames to submission. And His purposes to bless is not hindered. So God's people must turn fear into faith. So looking back, it was futile for, for Isaac to lie about his wife, Rebekah. Why didn't the Lord promise to be with him? He need not help the Lord protect him. Because faith must lead to trust. And faith does not resort to scheming. And because this chapter mentions about the water quarrel a lot of times, undoubtedly there must be a message to the Israelites. And the message is, God will provide water. He did so with Isaac. No matter where he moved, the Lord provided water. So do not quarrel with the Lord over water. Because that's what the Israelites did. At Marah, at Massa, and Meribah. No human effort can hinder God's plans to bless his people. No circumstances are too daunting for the Lord to deliver His promises. What God promised to do, He will. He will deliver. He shall bring to pass. And because of that, human exploits, my last point, human exploits do not ensure God's gracious purposes for His people. So Genesis 27 takes us to the supposedly last days of Isaac. Supposedly because after that incident, he went on to live many more years. He was old. His vision dimming could be cataracts. And he incentivized Esau to hunt and prepare for him delicious food so that the old man may bless him before he dies. Now, did you catch that? Blessing in exchange for delicious food before he dies? Doesn't that remind you of Esau's character? Birthright in exchange of stew? Lest I die? No wonder Isaac loved Esau because the old man ate of his son's game, we are told in Genesis 25, because Esau is the chip of the old block. And something is not right here. Because if the Lord had willed that the younger inherit the blessing, what is Isaac doing here? In the absence of Rebekah, in the absence of Jacob, here we see scheming taking place. Scheming taking place to ensure that Isaac's favorite gets the blessing. Even when the Lord clearly willed that the younger shall rule over the older. Isaac was scheming to revoke God's will. What led him to do so? Well, the simplest answer is favoritism. Favoritism. But God's word unashamedly gives more reasons. Isaac loved delicious food. So if you look at your Bibles, six times 
Delicious food is mentioned in this chapter. For want of delicious food, Isaac was willing to ignore God's revealed will. For want of delicious food, Isaac favored Esau. It was because of his game, because of delicious food he brings to him. Isaac was scheming to bless Esau, not simply because, after all, he is the firstborn. The narrator reveals to us it's because he's been bought over by the delicious food. Isaac wasn't following the Lord's will. He was following his palate. He was following his taste buds, his senses. And so when food was finally being served to him, take note of the uh, sensorial words. Isaac touched and felt his son. He heard the son's voice. He ate. He drank. He, he smelled. When God's people follow their senses, when they give in to what makes them happy, what gives them pleasure, what delights them, what boosts their ego, when, when God's people follow their senses, disobedience is not far. So Isaac obeyed his senses and so schemed to pass the blessing to his favorite son. Human exploits, however, do not ensure God's purposes for his people. One cannot revoke God's will. One cannot issue what lawyers call a codicil and amend God's purposes. Human skills are futile. But when God's people lack faith, they resort to scheming. So we were told that Rebekah schemed to have Jacob impersonate his older brother to ensure that the younger son gets the blessing God has willed for him anyway. Rebekah prepares delicious food, clothes Jacob with Esau's garment. Jacob walks in to his father and says, Here I am, Esau, your firstborn. Eat my game that your soul may bless me. The dad asked, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he replies, Because the Lord, your God, granted me success. And you read this and you say, Wow! He even had the audacity to say that it is the Lord's doing. But isn't that what we, what we sometimes do? We use God's name as a cover for our exploits. We say words like, this is undeniably the Lord's doing. Or, this is God's gift to me. Or, the Lord has brought him to me. The Lord has brought her to me. And at times we say it's the Lord's sovereignty to absolve us of guilt or to wash our hands of responsibility. The Lord granted me success, says Jacob. Technically, he could be right, you know, because the Lord is sovereign, but morally, he is so wrong. 
because human exploits are not needed to guarantee God's promises. Yet Jacob and Rebekah just had to help God bless his chosen ones. And so more help, more busy, more mess. And in the end, Jacob had to flee like a fugitive to Laban because Esau issued a death threat against him. And in the end, Rebekah, his mother, would never get to see his beloved son ever again because they offered to help God ensure his blessing. More help, more mess. Now, I do not know if you like to watch uh, con artist movies, you know, the likes of Catch Me If You Can, or Oceans 11, 12, and 13. I watch such movies and I ask in the end, so, is the con artist the good guy or the bad guy? It's complicated, isn't it? Same with this story. Jacob is God's chosen. Jacob the grabber. Jacob the trickster. The liar. The schemer. Is he the good guy or the bad guy in this story? It's complicated, isn't it? How could the Lord, how could he have chosen such a scoundrel? Well, same reason He's chosen us who believe in his son, Jesus. We are very flawed people. We play favorites. We scheme. We are con artists, liars. And God's word does not shy away from exposing the weaknesses and the foolish antiques of God's people, so that we may all embrace the beautiful truth that our salvation is never by our own works or our merits or efforts. It is solely God's compassion and mercy. We are all sinners. And unless we highlight our weaknesses, we would not spotlight saving faith in the gracious God. Unless we highlight our weaknesses, we will not promote confessing sins to one another. We would not see our need for Jesus, the promised seed from Abraham's line, through whom we become recipients of God's blessings. Praise God that it is because of Jesus' work on the cross, that we sinners become God's children. We become his people. And not by our own works, not by our efforts, but by God's gracious calling through his Son, Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. We praise you, Father, that salvation is never by our works, else will you will have been doomed. 
We thank you that salvation is by faith through Jesus. And so we pray that we will walk the rest of our days praising you for the beautiful truth that you chose us, not because of who we are, but because of your goodness, because of your mercy and your compassion. Teach us to value our birthright, never despising our salvation in exchange for the temporal pleasures of this work. Help us to follow you, obey you, and be faithful to you until we see your Son, the Lord Jesus, who saved us face to face. Amen.